0: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode two of The Gig. I'm your host, Michaela Perez, and today we have none other than Adam Roberts as our guest. When I say I am excited, that is an understatement. Adam is one of the most incredible people I think I've ever met. Um, He is a vocal coach, artist extraordinaire, does everything um, in Austin. He's my vocal coach. Um, He's a choreographer, a director, a music director. He does it all, seriously. Um, I'm gonna just let him speak for himself. I'm not gonna give you a huge long rundown of of what he does um, because he's got it. Uh, um, Y'all, if you know him, you know this is gonna be a great episode. If you don't know him, keep listening because he is incredible and has a lot of really great things to say. Um, Thank you guys so much for the amount of support already that you've given me for this podcast. It is overwhelming and I feel so loved and thank you. Uh, But without further ado, here is
1: Adam Roberts. Hi. Hey, how are you?
0: I am good.
1: good
0: how are you how are things going how is life
1: things are going well it's a it's um you know i am very grateful to be one of the folks for whom um you know work and, and creativity hasn't been snuffed out um you know over the past uh 5 months with this covid pandemic and um so i'm i'm very thankful that i get to continue to do many of the things that i that i do and had done you know sort of out in the world before all of this so it's it's been a busy time um but it's also been i think as is the case for a lot of folks you know a a time of reflection too which uh, which is you know awesome
0: i should also say good morning because i mean 10 a.m is still kind of early in covid days i mean i'm like on my first cup of coffee which I had to go get from a gas station because I am out of coffee at home.
1: That's not a good 10 a.m. I know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I definitely was like, it was 920 and I was like on my way to the gas station. (laughs) great. Well, thank
1: you for recording this this early.
0: (laughs) No, I love it. I think it's going to be a great start to my day. So I woke up excited and here we are.
1: I'm excited to be here, too. I think that, you know, when we met doing voice work, I guess it's been, has it been almost two years ago? I guess it probably has now. It was been in almost,
0: January, last, so a year.
1: Okay, a year wow. and a half-ish. Yeah. Wow. Wild. It doesn't seem possible.
0: I know, I know, right? feel like i've
1: known you my whole life <laughs> i know it does seem that way but i figured that um i figured then when you know we got to know each other and meet and everything i kind of figured then that you would be doing something super entrepreneurial and cool like <laughs> starting a podcast it doesn't surprise me so very honored to be you know i think number 2 episode number 2 right <laughs> yeah
0: Also, you get credit for the name of this podcast, 100%.
1: Toss, 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 Yeah, you
0: know, like, whatever. Um, (laughs) I was having a hard time, and Adam was like, the gig. And I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, okay, that's great.
1: Okay, Adam,
0: tell me about you. Who are you? What do you do? Your background? Give it to me all. The listeners want to (laughs) know.
1: Well, it was a stormy night, and... (laughs) 1980-whatever. <laughs> no. Um, so I <laughs> I grew up um, in the tri-state area, which there are so many tri-states. Obviously, there are like a billion tri-state areas in the country, so which one? I grew up in the tri-state area of Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. And so the little town that I grew up in was on the Ohio River, and it was probably you know maybe 10 minutes from the borders of both West Virginia and Pennsylvania I was in on the Ohio side mm-hmm. so I was very close to Pittsburgh um uh growing up and Pittsburgh has this just like insanely wild cultural scene that's awesome I think a lot of people think about Pittsburgh and it and it was to some degree still while I was growing up there you know it was it was the flash dance era of Pittsburgh, where um, there was a lot of, um, you know, it was a, it was a steel town. There was there was a lot of um, sort of um, you know smoke billowing in the air and a lot of um, a lot of film sort of on things. And so a lot of people, I think, really think of Pittsburgh, um, who are my age or older and perhaps haven't ever been there or haven't been back since, um, as as very much a sort of. Um, you know, in some ways, like a, a, almost like a physically dirty town, like there's this pollution and everything. And it's kind of amazing because Pittsburgh really underwent a major, major renaissance after the steel mills closed. And there was a really um, widespread and I sort of remember this growing up. I mean, I was very young when the steel mills really started to to die off. but. Um, You know, most, not most, but many people I knew, you know, my grandfather was a steel worker. Many people I knew were, um, you know, very much their families were out of jobs. There was a a, you know, a major economic depression when the steel mills started to close there but the the benefit of it to that region was that the cultural you know there was a cultural district established in pittsburgh there was a um the 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 the, the, pittsburgh really became sort of this cultural mecca actually and now if you go there it actually has a lot of parallels to austin which is interesting in that, you know, there's a lot of sort of public art. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, breweries and, and um, things that, that um, you know, were not the Pittsburgh that I knew when I grew up there and are, are now kind of remind me a little bit of being here in Austin. But I actually grew up in a family of funeral directors um, that all of the rest of my immediate family, um, they own a funeral home. Um, there, in that little town on the Ohio River, and so that was d- very formative for me in many, many ways, including as an artist. I actually wrote an article for The Austin Chronicle several years ago about how growing up in a in that environment, in the funeral home environment really influenced my work as a creative and as a director and and, and sort of my aesthetic and and things like that um, and you know, just being able to be close to Pittsburgh and close to Cleveland too, you know, it's kind of in between Pittsburgh and Cleveland where I grew up um, and having just such incredibly, incredibly supportive parents who, you know, were the ones who, who said, hey, would you be interested in, in taking piano lessons? And I thought, not really. Um, and I actually didn't last very long the first go around of piano lessons. Would you be interested in dance? Would you be interested in, in being in this community theater? You know, and all of these things, Aside from piano lessons, I mean the dance studio was an hour away because we lived in a small little place the um you know the the uh community theater was forty five minutes away so you know I mean this was a lot of driving for them every night to 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 make these things happen and a lot of support that that uh, my sister and I were given to pursue the things we were we were interested in so that's kind of the where it all came from um I went to uh Kent State University after school after high school and uh, did did a degree there and one from uh, the Dana School of Music at Youngstown State University both in Ohio Northeast Ohio um, I moved to Tallahassee to do my masters in uh, music theory and then I moved over here to Austin and uh, that's been almost sixteen years ago now which is one of those things that. It doesn't seem like just yesterday that I moved to Austin or anything like that, but it certainly doesn't seem like it's been 16 years either. So it's been really cool to see Austin also very much have this, um, you know, Massive change when I moved here. You know, I mean, I know people talk about, you know, the Austin of the 60s, the Austin of the 70s as being really small. But even when I moved here, it was, I would still classify it as very much having been sort of a college town. Um, And just the growth, obviously, in these past 16 years has been insane. And I know that a lot of people bemoan it. I enjoy it because I'm a big city guy. Um, And so, you know, the, you know, New York city is too small. (laughs) Uh, and so I, you know, I, uh, I love being able to be here and be part of the, um, cultural scene here in, in, you know, from a variety of different perspectives and in a variety of different ways. So that kind of brings, brings that little story up to date to 2020 now.
0: (laughs) I love that. I didn't know some of those things about you. So that's really cool. Oh my God, I love that. So, we met back in January twenty nineteen. Yes,
1: twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen.
0: Yeah. And I had my first voice lesson with you, and I remember I remembered you from the Wizard of Oz callback at Zilker Hillside Theater.
1: That's right. I
0: wasn't auditioning. I was just sitting in with Shannon Ritchie. um, behind the table to Ritchie,
1: Richie act. one of the best people on the planet
0: literally I took her company and production management class twice in college just because I wanted to be you know,
1: I would have done the same
0: yeah um, but she um, let me uh, sit with her and watch you know the audition process from behind the table which was really cool but I remember seeing you choreograph that uh, callback dance routine and I was like you're cool <laughs> <laughs> so i knew your name and then literally like a year later more than yeah. that later i heard about this adam roberts guy who was uh teaching voice lessons and i was like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then i said listen i i don't know if you remember this but i came in saying i don't know if i want to do this anymore and yeah. i'm kind of in an artistics lump so tell me the truth and
1: i do I'm remember
0: here a, a year and a half later still still yeah. performing so i i literally i have a huge huge like just thankfulness for you because you were oh. mental seriously and me continuing to do what i love so
1: well thank you i uh <laughs> i do remember that day really super well because um And I still use this story sometimes as an illustration when I'm working with people who I'm explaining sort of the correlation between the speaking voice and the singing voice. I remember uh, getting a phone call and uh, seeing that it was you and we hadn't met yet. Um, I mean, I guess we probably had met at Wizard of Oz, for those callbacks and and passing, but we hadn't met yet. And uh, I remember being on the phone and thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna love her singing voice because her speaking voice is has the placement and the architecture that is so aligned with, you know, sort of the um, you know, the 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 current Broadway sound, you know, and and the mix. And I just absolutely love that. And I was so excited to get to hear you sing once we had spoken, because I think we'd probably just emailed prior to that. Yeah. Um and it was, and and I was uh, certainly uh, in no way disappointed because <laughs> the voice that came out was uh, very parallel to that oh speaking voice. No, so awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I
0: was telling you because I was lost and I couldn't find the building. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. That's of right.
1: Of course. That's right. It's tricky over there finding. Them.
0: I love that. Okay, so as you know, the premise of this podcast is people who are sort of marrying the idea of their passions and their professions
1: yeah oh yeah
0: what does that look like for you run me through like maybe how so obviously you got a master's in music theory and and you kind of took that journey and now you've got all of these things going on um that ties into like your passion projects and things like that but just elaborate what that's like and
1: Yeah, Yeah, you know, gosh. um, So music theory, I, you know, went to school, all of my collegiate training for for the most part was music theory. And, um, you know, I think when people in who are not music theorists hear the term music theory, oftentimes they think, well, how could you even do like a whole like you know, study that for eight years in school or whatever um and the answer is because you know what we often think of as music theory sort of like what are the what's the key signature of this piece, or what is the time signature, or um how do I read this this piece those things really, for all intents and purposes are sort of like music fundamentals, if you will, mm-hmm. when you get into like actual music theory and analysis, you're really talking about like pretty um I don't wanna say abstract, that's not really the right word, but pretty, um, pretty relatively abstract sorts of ways of looking at music, um, you know, through lenses of, you know, philosophy and uh, literary theory sometimes, but also from, you know, just these very structural mathematical models, you know, um, one of my professors at FSU who was on my thesis committee um, when I was doing my masters, you know, he had had to write, a computer program uh, to do calculations for his own dissertation. So I mean, it can be incredibly, it can be incredibly mathematical and a lot of trigonometry and things like that. All the way over to it can be very um, much like doing literary analysis um, or critical analysis, um, you know, in a in a, in a literature kind of way. So it's interesting because that can go multiple directions. But what I learned about myself, it wasn't really about music theory, but I would start to go to these conferences. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I, my thought was that I was gonna be an academic in music theory in a, you know, a faculty position, and that was gonna be my trajectory. And I, and I did love talking about music and, and analyzing music. But one of the things that was interesting about it was that uh, my project really as an academic, uh, in my mind throughout most of that time was to sort of analyze musical theater music and that was going to be the primary repertoire in which i was going to be focused and one of the things that um you know uh, someone told me uh once when i was actually working on my doctorate at ut in music theory um was that uh you know focusing on musical theater as your primary um, area of academic inquiry is not, um, that's not something you're probably really going to be able to spend most of your time on, you know, you're going to need to spend most of your time on, um, you know, literature and repertoire that gets talked about and published a lot more than musical theater does. You know, there was still, and there kind of still is in, in, in some ways, I think, but, you know, there was very much this idea that musical theater, was to some degree, like, oh, you could maybe write like an article on that every once in a while in the music music theory world. But, um, you know, it's not really necessarily worthy of your entire career as a serious study of academic inquiry, I think, you know? Um, and so you could write this thing or that thing um, every once in a while. And that was something I hadn't realized until that, until that point. Um, was was that you know oh if i can't spend all of 90% of my time writing about the music and the literature that i'm really passionate about then music theory is really not going to be for me i had a mentor once in music theory who said you know i have sort of a niche passion area too um in terms of the rep that i would love to be just writing about and researching all the time but really i only get to do that about 10 percent of the time because it's just not what gets published mostly and sort of in, in academia it's publish or perish you know um and so i decided then and that taught me a lot because it taught me a lot about i knew um you know i'd gone through all this i was i was almost about to to finish my coursework for my phd at that time but I knew, that, I knew that, that this mentor was right. I had been to enough conferences, national conferences in music theory, to know what the bulk of the um, papers were on and that it wasn't stuff that I was particularly interested in. Mm-hmm. And so I knew then, and it was kind of a big existential crisis, right? Because I'd been in school for eight years preparing for all of this. Um, and I knew then that um, that was not going to be for me um because you know the passion that i had for musical theater superseded the passion that i had for music theory as a as a academic area and so i again you know and as a person of faith i absolutely think that these paths intertwine um you know often in our lives um and i when i moved to austin i was really fortunate to very quickly Um, during my first year of my PhD, you know, be introduced to several folks outside of UT who were doing, um, you know, projects. Mostly still at that point, I was still mostly teaching dance um, and choreographing. And I was doing a little bit of of musical direction, but it was primarily teaching dance and choreography. And, um, and so I, I, i um took over a program at dancers workshop i took over a program at ballet austin all of which was music pre-professional musical theater focused um Mm -hmm. and so i was doing as as i said more choreography and and dance instruction um and then i uh through uh through all of that work met the person who at the time was um sort of the director of youth theater at zach theater and Mm -hmm. so um you know got in with zach and was doing some choreography there that then blossomed into other things um when i was working with zach uh, on various different productions and and things like that so um you know that transition taught me a lot from 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 being in school for something i thought i was going to do now the nice thing about going to school for any kind of music degree is that you you definitely don't only focus in your specific thing. so um, I was, you know, I took a lot of conducting in school, even though, you know, music theory and conducting are not necessarily like, you know, you wouldn't take four years of conducting to do a music theory degree ordinarily, but, you know, vocal pedagogy. Um, uh, conducting, um, you know, and, and, and so a lot of practical musical things, in addition to sort of the academic music things that are more of the theory vein in practice. And so uh, that was very very uh helpful for me and 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 set me up with the musical skills certainly that i needed for what i would what i would end up doing and so then you know once i transitioned out of ut um, and knew that theory was not going to be the direction that i really was was wanting to go in, I really sort of um, hit the ground running uh, as a vocal coach and at that time, um, you know, had been fairly established like at Zach and with Ballet Austin and at the, um, at Shalom Austin, uh, which I ended up, uh, you know, founding the Austin Jewish Repertory Theater at Shalom Austin and that was a great uh, through line for 12 years of my life and career here in Austin as well. Um, and so, through the connections that I was able to make when I came here, and that were made for me, I think, uh, when I came here to Austin, um, you know, I think that, again, as a person of faith, it was it w- it was this interesting time, and I think this happens for a lot of artists. You know, I had this pretty existential sort of crisis. I still remember that day I decided to leave theory and decided to leave my Ph.D. program before I had finished, and that was. You know when you're in school i'd gone I'd gotten three degrees prior to that, all of which were leading up to this, and so that was that was a hard day it was weird, it was odd, it was unexpected and strange and even though I kind of saw it coming for a bit um I think that very much there is when one door closes another opens is 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 one analogy, but I also think that sometimes um God opens doors. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> and you kind of have the opportunity not to only think about you know because I think the, I think that can happen. I think I think perhaps a, a bit of a flaw in that analogy for me from a theological perspective at least is that it it sort of implies to me that it takes one thing to, to, to end for another thing to then begin. And I think that that has not at all been my personal experience. In fact, it's sort of been um, a, the revolving doors opening and closing simultaneously that have created the connections and the networking and the opportunities um, that, that have enabled me to be able to then um, pursue multiple things at once because they all interact and overlap. And I think that if I had been just focused on one of those things, I would probably not have been able to do any of them practically because it is the mix of things that I do that allows me to be a full-time artist and, and coach as opposed to any one of those things on their own, Mm -hmm. aside from, you know, probably vocal coaching, any one of those things on their own could not be my sole source of income or could not be my sole, Um, you know, thing that I was working on and still making connections. So I think that, I think that that multiple doors can be opening at once and the the discernment or awareness that there are multiple things in our path that are possibilities at any given moment is something that I think is hard to think about when you think, well, I have to keep doing what I'm doing until that door closes for another door to open, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, something my papa always tells me is like, you know, God can send you in any direction at any time and there is never just one thing that you know like me with teaching you know when when that didn't necessarily work out in this season you know my papa was like well God just may not want you to do that right now and there are and there are so many other things that you can do and you never know and don't act like you know (laughs) where he's gonna send you and you know so that's right yeah but it's so cool just for me as like a young person to hear you talk about, you know, leaving that, the master's program and like going on to something else, or, you know, within the field. Right,
1: um, right, right, sure.
0: But that it takes a lot of courage and bravery and, and I commend you so much on that because.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, it- <laughs> It it did, it did take a lot of those things. And what's interesting is even though I had made, and this was another one of those formative things for me, mindset wise, even though I had made the decision to do, to leave and to do those things, um, I immediately went to work on applying to other programs. Now they weren't in music theory, but they were in say conducting or in a, I'm trying to remember if it, if I even maybe applied to something outside of music, I can't remember. Um, but I but these programs, these other doctoral programs, other graduate programs, you know, would have taken me outside of Austin and were completely um, uh, still within the academic, because I still, so what I think is interesting is even though I had these burgeoning opportunities from the connections that I had already been making in Austin, I didn't automatically say, well, like i this is this is something i will just continue to grow these other connections in the practical world within austin I, you know, in my mind, it's still no, you're still in academia, like, you know, you're still going to get a doctorate. No, you're still doing these things, which is fine, but also, um, you know, was, was not, I think what my path was intended to be at that moment. Um, And so, you know, I would fly around the country to these other interviews to do, um, flew to London to do an interview for, for a doctorate there, flew to like, and, and I think that I knew somehow I knew that, uh, you know, I think I got this discernment when I was going through that whole process that like, wait a minute, hold on and like look at what's around you right now. Maybe that path or those paths that are there are ways that you could make an impact. Uh, Maybe you don't need to feel like you need to be um, in academia just because that's what you have done and know. Maybe being out in the world and doing some of these things could, uh, could be a path for you. I don't really, believe that most people have one path that is sort of predestined or predetermined. I think that idea that you, um, I think it can very much work for, for certain people and personality types to say, I want to focus on this one area of my, of my craft and existence and work for sure. But I think that it's not, it's not necessarily a truism that that is how uh, people, you know, I, because when people ask me, well, what's your through line that connects everything that you do? It's kind of hard to say, honestly, because it's not even necessarily always theater. Um, I guess the arts are pretty part and parcel to most everything that I do professionally. Um, so that would be like the, the answer that I could give. But I think thinking about what are we biased toward based on our current experience? You know, what, you know, besides cognitive bias, what's sort of our experiential bias in this moment and saying, um, you know, I'm in academia, so I must continue to go in academia is not necessarily true. And that was the part that was kind of the hardest because, you know, as someone who thinks they want to be in academia, you kind of, a lot of people just don't even necessarily stop. You know, you go undergrad, grad school, assistant professor, associate professor, you kind of just never leave the ivory tower, depending on your discipline, depending on your life circumstances. It's different for different people, obviously. But so in some ways I was like leaving the environment that I thought I would probably never leave, honestly, as an academic. Um, And so going out into the real world. and saying this is that is a very different environment to work in for a lot of academics, you know. And um, so that was that was for me a large part of what sort of took the courage was to say not that I, I mean I had choreographed, I had directed, I had done these things before, but I didn't think that was going to be my um, my path yeah. in totality, you know. Um, so it so it was pretty cool how all that worked out, you know. I was very grateful for all of that.
0: I love your story. I think it's so cool and so affirming to me, again, that like, you have no idea where it's going to take you. And and also yeah. to not, you know, have to stick to the same thing that you've been doing your whole life and that maybe there are other paths for you that still involve what you love and your passions in some form or fashion. But, you know, you never know. And we're That's all just exactly right. there. Never right. Yeah. So what are you currently working on? What are all of the things that you do?
1: <laughs> That's a good question.
0: <laughs> my my boyfriend asked me that the other day. He was like, like, he does so many things that you always talk about. Like, how does he <laughs> do it? And I'm like, um, listen to episode two and you'll find out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Well, here we go. <laughs> no. Um, I I will start off by saying that um because I know that perhaps there will be um, you know, sort of a lot of young artists starting out um, or in, in, in the beginning stages at least of, you know, I guess metaphor there, beginning stages of of what they're, you know, looking to pursue. And I, I think it's really important to preface what I'm about to, to say with, there I really don't think there's one way that you can do what we do. And there is not one, you know, life circumstances, background, desires outside of the arts. Um, all of these sorts of things I think are very different for each individual person. I do think there are some things that I often sort of give as consistent advice in the in, to people who are looking to pursue um, a, a given kind of sector of the arts um, or, or a job within the arts that's particular. But, you know, uh, for me, Uh, I do, I mean, I I probably work close to, you know, an average of 80 to 90 hours in a given week. Um, And so I would say that context is really important to put out there for how do you do all the things that you do is a question that I often get. Um, And the answer really is that it's, it is mostly what I do Um, uh, is, is these things, is this, is, is work. And and I work fulfills me um, both in terms of the impact that I am I get to see every day. I mean that's what drives me mostly. I get to see people um, literally find their voices. People who um, learn for the first time that they actually have a, a a a good singing voice. People who learn for the first time that they can get out there with some coaching and, and do a presentation. People mm-hmm. who learn for the first time, all these things. That's, that's primarily what fuels me um, in that regard.
0: it's emotional. <laughs> like, <I'm laughs> kind <of> like, anyway.
1: <laughs> no, it really is. It's very emotional. And, um, and so the impact part of that, what you're just saying right there, because it is, you know, to get wow. to work with people literally on a, you know, daily to weekly basis who are, who gain self-confidence through their voice or movements, who gain courage, who g- get that role that is going to get them in the door at a given institution. And then, you know, they're gonna be able to sort of take it from there. All of these things are what fuel me to do that. And also I've just, all, ever since I was, you know, in, in high school and maybe before, I don't know, I just am, you know, I'm, in, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Uh, and not that eights are always super career driven, but I think probably more so than some of the other numbers maybe. Right. Um, and so I've also just, I really enjoy working. Um, mm-hmm. And so because that is the case, both of those things kind of coalesce together to give me the fuel, I think, to have that kind of a schedule. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, allergies in Austin. (laughs) Um, So I think that, um, you know, when people ask me sort of, what does your typical week look like? um, Probably the core of my week, uh, I would say is, um, is spent doing vocal coaching. So I work primarily with musical theater uh, singers, but and performers, um, but not exclusively. I also work sometimes with people who, don't necessarily know exactly what they want to do um, with their voice, they just know that you know taking a singing lesson has been on their bucket list or um, and they want to kind of pursue that and see they just know they want one or two sessions and they just have always wanted to do it, and that's that. Um, all the way through, people who are, you know, elite musical theater performers doing eight shows a week, um, yeah. maintaining their voices. So, um, so I think that that I enjoy very much working on that spectrum um, of people who are saying, "Hey, I have no desire." Because a lot of vocal coaches will say, "I'm only really interested in working with you if you like really are pursuing this professionally." I love the ability to work with two people back-to-back who are like, you know, this super trained, super, um, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like, they've done a ton of shows, whatever, professionally on, you know, at one o'clock. And then at two o'clock, I'm meeting somebody for the first time who says, I'm really anxious about my voice. I've never sung for anybody outside of the shower, but this is like a courage step for me. I love, love, love being able to have that tapestry of people that I work with. Uh, And so um, impact is impact to me as far as that's (laughs) concerned. Um, So vocal coaching, and I do that through two different entities. I do it through here in Austin, the Actors School, and also Carol Hickey uh, Acting Studio. And so between those two entities, that's how I do my vocal coaching. Right now I'm doing it all completely virtually uh, because of COVID. Um, I also then um, spend a, a lot of time each week Um, with Tilt Performance Group, which is a um, performance company. And I say performance company, but it's primarily a theater company um, that is um, comprised of adult, paid adult performers with disabilities. Um, And I say paid, because that's really important to our mission uh, is meaningful employment. It's one of our pillars at Tilt and and core values. And so I was um, very fortunate and blessed to, uh, have the opportunity to be a co-founder of uh, Tilt with Gail Dalrymple and Robert Pearson seven years ago here in Austin, and we have really um, we now have just hired our first um, full not full-time part-time but but employed executive director of Tilt uh, Amy Tarver who is awesome, and we're in a, we're in a sort of a new phase of really burgeoning and growing um, and becoming a leader in the disability theater world. Um, and that has been really, really, uh, obviously probably impactful and fulfilling too. Um, and, and being able to do that kind of work and do commissions and do, um, you know, uh, do a whole education component, um, that faces multiple different ways. And, and, um, so working with tilt is a large part of what I do, uh, in a weekly basis as well. And then, um, I'm the musical director of a small church here in Austin, St. Luke United Methodist Church, um, which I just um, absolutely love and, and have found throughout my life that I've really primarily been called to small churches as a musical director um, you know i might I might conduct something at the Long Center where there are you know twenty five hundred people in the audience, but um, in terms of music ministry, I really have found you know. That I have consistently over and over again, you know, I've been the musical director at several churches, they're all quite small, by which I mean probably less than, you know, a hundred even in attendance on a given Sunday. And I think that that has to be God at work as well because, um, you know, for me that is also very spiritually uh, fulfilling and to be able to work in a small environment like that when you're usually working in larger environments and sort of a commercial production focused way, um, to be able to be in a uh, to, in a very close spiritual community like that, especially a spiritual community that so theologically aligns, which I have, you know, um, I have a pretty particular theological uh, uh Ideology or bent. And so I, you know, I've been fortunate to be in churches that kind of match that in the past. But this church, St. Luke, you know, I mean, just 100% LGBTQIA, um, affirming and not only affirming, but seeking, (laughs) um, uh, you know, in the theology, um, not necessarily in the makeup of the church on the whole, um, but in the, in the, shared theology of that church and that congregation is really incredible um and so i spend you know part of my week as the musical director for saint luke um and then i um have a uh a business with uh my business partner dave hawks which is called resolution creative and resolution creative is a um a company as the the yes. canvas on the wall back there. It. Um, yeah, it's a company that really grew organically out of the need that people had for content. So as I was branching out and doing more, uh, more uh, freelance work as a conductor and as a choreographer and as a vocal coach, um, you know, Dave made these really incredible videos, promotional sort of one minute promotional videos. And he and I worked very much on them together from the standpoint of strategy, but he single-handedly shot and edited them um, and, and you know, did a lot of photography for my website and things like that. And, and very quickly people were saying, who does your work? Who does your videos? Who does your photography? Um, and so, you know, we realized that when we would work together, it sort of took on a different hue than going to one photographer for your headshots and then going to a website designer we said we think that something that we could offer really is a strategic approach to all of this where we sort of lay out a, a um you know a discernment process where individual artists and sometimes creatives in a in a company setting or a, or a, or a larger setting but typically we're working with individual artists to sort of discern how can I use my social media channels? How can I use my digital, uh, you know, ecosystem and world and connections uh, in a way that's authentic and that is positive. And so often what people need from that is content. Um, But they need content that is strategically geared toward um, sort of that mini brand discernment, if you will. And so um, Dave and I work together with folks to, you know, uh, discern that strategic direction for how they want to represent themselves digitally and what, um, you know, makes the most sense for them in that way. And then we storyboard uh, video content and photographic content and messaging and um, storytelling and all those things together into a package that then they can uh, use in in the digital world, which is obviously right now becoming even more and more important during this this virtual time, so spending a lot of time each week on that uh, on that company's work as well, and um, then various you know um, perhaps I'll go choreograph a a, a one off production or go conduct a one off production, or I might um, you know work uh, on a on a project that's outside of the kind of work that I would typically do. Um, I just started writing for backstage um awesome.
0: so congratulations that article thank you, thank you. i loved
1: it <laughs> so that's nice because i love writing obviously as someone who was going to be an academic and a researcher like if you don't love writing you better not do it that's, and yeah. that's one thing that i kind of missed you know was missing was um, doing doing that kind of writing so being able to write for backstage um has been a great way to, to yeah. um those two things together. So yeah, it's a, it's a busy week every week for sure. That is, there is no doubt about the busyness of the week. But um, I think that if I were not so, you know, just my personality and we're not so work driven, um, I don't know that I would be able to do any one of those things without the other things. So it's sort of that that dynamic tension that is holding it all together between each of those nodules of what I do in, in my work and life.
0: That's amazing. Wow. 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 Just when I think you can't get any cooler, you do. So okay. <laughs> I don't
1: know about that, but I will take it.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Um what okay, but okay I hate it when people ask me this because yeah. I'm like, what does that even mean? But what are your hobbies outside of?
1: No, it's such a good question. So, um, you know, I'll answer that by saying, I think that my I, my other real primary sort of interest or things that I find intriguing, and I say this because um, it can't really be a hobby, what I'm about to say, um, but is medicine. Um, and, you know, I was very conflicted between um between pre-med or between pre-med and music and undergrad you know would i did i want to pursue medical school or did i want to continue going on in the arts um after i was done with my bachelor's degree and i remember very clearly having this sort of like moment of real, like, I just don't know which one of these to choose. I really was into the idea of doing emergency medicine, and I was really into the idea of doing um, music and the arts. And I have a vision disorder that is progressive that I was diagnosed with when I was in third grade. So, um, you know, I, it, was, it didn't really affect me in any kind of major way up until I was probably 22 or 23, and I had to stop driving at that point um, because you know, it affects people in different ways. It's a pretty rare disorder, um, and it affects people in different ways as the nerves in the optic nerve die away. So for me, one of the things that it affected was my depth perception um, to some degree, not to any crazy degree, but enough that I should not have continued to drive. And so I stopped driving at that point. Um, And uh, that was what led me to decide, I probably should be doing music and the arts because, you know, still at that point, I mean, I I decided to go the music route before I knew that, for example, that I would have to stop driving. but even back when I made that decision, I knew that it's possible that this will progress to the extent that I will um, would not be able to like see to intubate a patient, which you have to do a lot in emergency medicine, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's interesting because you really have to visualize those vocal folds to place a breathing tube and now I just visualize vocal folds for a different reason for, for, vocal, for vocal fold pathology. So, um, so you know, there's, there's a totally different, uh, totally different reason that I see those same, those same tissues um, nowadays. But I think that, um, so what I do for, you know, if I'm just like going to like chill out and not do something at all, if I'm going to watch something, for example, honestly, it's probably like a medical documentary or something like that. Um, which I know sounds so funny as like the thing you would like just veg out to or whatever, but I love learning about medicine and about, um, the new like advances and things. And you know, I do, from a professional standpoint, I stay very current on, um, you know, vocal medicine, um, on laryngology, on what can be done for folks. But I mean, I consider that to be part of my, you know, work but yeah you know i just I enjoy- yeah so so really you know like i said it's not really a hobby because i'm not like going out and buying like you know some like let's do surgery on somebody for fun today um <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> kit uh but um you know uh that is what i do sort of in my in my off time but i also i also would say that you know a lot of people say well i write as a hobby right I'm very fortunate that I have been able to um, integrate a lot of the hobby things that I would otherwise do as things that can be part of my work either at, either building like awareness of my work or that are actually monetized yeah. so so you know, I would have answered like, "Oh, I love like writing, you know um, as sort of like a hobby um, but i but I've been able to. Do that as part of what I do in my work, which is great Um, in terms of like, I also love the physicality of dance. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I always knew I didn't want to be a dancer. I really enjoyed the choreography component. Um, But, you know, I still teach uh, for Ballet Austin um, every now and then, not like an every week class, but still, you know, advanced tap or musical theater dance. I'll still go in and teach. And so that's a way that like a hobby of, you know, that is obviously like exercise-based and, and healthy and all those kinds of things as well can still be integrated back into the things that I'm doing work-wise and is monetizable and all that, so.
0: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You, oh, wow. <laughs> You're like, I'm just going to chill out tonight and watch a medical documentary. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Some ER. <e-hot>. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great.
0: <laughs> I love it, I love it. Um, I want to know... Uh, Okay, is your favorite musical parade?
1: Oh gosh, that's such a good question. Um, Favorite musicals, you know, I, um, they kind of, I don't want to say that they change, but I think that you see musicals through very different lenses depending on the time that you're looking at the musical. Um, I I would say that um, in my experience in the past, You know, I I always say that like, I sort of have three depending on how I'm engaging with that musical. So my favorite musical, um, if you really asked me, if I had to like say my absolute favorite musical across the board of all time, I would definitely say The Fantastics, which I think really really surprises a lot of people. Um, Yeah, does surprise me. Well, I love, I love, Probably my favorite theatrical genre, whether you're talking musical theater or um, or straight theater or experimental theater or whatever, pretty my favorite sort of style within that is magical realism. I really love magical realism. And um, I think that the fantastic sort of really, really is, you know, an example of that and, and sort of the highest regard and I love minimalism. So mm-hmm. sort of like those two things together is The Fantastics as a musical. Um, You know, just the piano, the piano part is always the idea that it's a piano and a harp, like um, Mm -hmm. that the pianist is really, as a pianist myself, you know, that the piano is so intrinsically involved as a character and, um, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, so that's my favorite musical to work on. I always tell people like I'm never probably until my dying day gonna turn down the opportunity to do a production of The Fantastics um, as a choreographer, as a musical director, as a director, you know, it's just nostalgic for me.
0: Let's do it. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, my favorite musical to watch is probably always going to be a chorus line. Honestly, it is the first, that you know has roots as the first sort of professional production I ever saw live, but also just um I think it's an awesome score I mean, sure, it's dated like I don't think there's likely ever to be like another commercial chorus line revival um you know, and that's fine, uh but I hold special you know again nostalgia and and love for that musical. Um, and then my my favorite musical to write about probably would be Parade. I mean, I wrote my master's thesis about Parade. Um, yeah. And so to engage with from sort of a uh, scholarly perspective. And then I was really, really so fortunate. I never thought I would ever get to do it. Um, but I was so fortunate to get to do musical direction for a production at Ground Floor Theater back in, it's probably 2016 maybe in the um, or 15, 16, I think, Um, and uh, with just a really amazing cast. We did a concert version and, and, you know, had the full complement of musicians from the reduced score that they did at Center Theatre Group, Um, really, really um, awesome experience that I thought I would never really have uh, to be able to actually, and it was kind of interesting, right, because it was a little bit of a full circle kind of situation, I had been doing, um, you know, writing about it and engaging with it and going to it to Emory University, Atlanta, where all the court papers from the Leo Frank case, the original paperwork all is going through those archives, um, going up to Marietta and talking to some folks. And, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, Parade is that's the area where that is set and involved a court case, um, all of, you know, the, the materials of which are all in those archives there. So going through all of that and then getting to actually be part of a production was very special, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah.
0: Wow, 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 wow. You've done so many things, and, and I feel you've, you've been all over. You've worked in New York. You've worked, literally, it seems like everywhere. Um, so, but, so at this point, I, I feel like you've, Done it all. <laughs> but what are some of your like future goals either for yourself personally or for your career? Those probably tie in together, but what are some of those?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, you know, I would never have when we when we began tilt um, back seven years ago, I would I don't think any of us had envisioned. That it would become what it is in terms of its breadth and in terms of its reach and in terms of its growth. Um, You know, we started tilt uh, because one of our one of my co founders. um, Her son was about to um, matriculate out of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired and you know that's a program. He was probably I don't, 23 or 24 at that point because through that program you can extend beyond high school and sort of continue, you know, um, to learn other things vocationally um, and life skills wise um, through that through that school. So she had this realization and said, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm coming to this realization as he's about to sort of graduate out of this program that." theater and the arts have truly been his source of community. That's where his friends are from. That's where he knows people from. He is going to be in like isolation without this mm-hmm. continuing. Mm-hmm. And so Robert Pearson, who had been his teacher at the Texas School for the Blind, um, you know, theater teacher um, and mentor for for all of his time there, Robert and Gail and I got together um, and, and co-founded TILT and I think i think i'm speaking on their behalf here and you know i don't want to put words in people's mouths but I, I think there was a consensus really that you know we might do like one or two productions a year um and that you know we would that really the a a primary goal and it still kind of is a primary goal of tilt but a primary goal would be sort of de-isolation, that there would be a place where people could come for community and for expression. You know, the majority of the TILT productions, actually, interestingly, we devise um, our ourselves. We've done a few productions that have been sort of like well-known titles, scripted works that were already prescripted, and people like the TILT audiences um, really prefer the ones that are devised, written, created by, the company, which is cool, and I and I remind our actors all the time. You know, this is something that that uh, actors in the sort of quote traditional theater world wish were the case always. Like we do our own new work always, and it's what people prefer to like the I big too. titles, you know. Um, and and so we're very we're very fortunate in that way. But I think one goal is that we're seeing we're seeing the reach of Tilt really. Um, Become big in multiple ways, and you know I have some, a couple of of um, large scale projects in the works for myself that have, um, that have become a possibility because of my work with Tilt and sort of developing Tilt. I've stayed the artistic director. Robert and I were co-artistic directors and I've stayed the artistic director of TILT up until, you know, now and, and will continue to do so. Um, but there have also been some opportunities that have really presented themselves because of that work. So it's, it's a very interesting, something that I always, when we started TILT, that I thought would be very, um, would not be a large part of my weekly schedule, for example, has now very thankfully become a gigantic part and sort of, Doing, um, you know, disability arts consulting, inclusion consulting, and and a variety of different things outside of that. I would love to continue to grow that kind of work, um, both for myself and on behalf of being an ambassador for Tilt, so that Tilt can continue to grow in our reach and our impact and our programming and our education and advocacy. Um, so that that is a, a large part of what I would what I would like to do. Um, and then I also have a couple of irons in the fire for um, a potential project that would be um, collaborative with a, with a couple of other colleagues and um, one in particular that probably is gonna be coming on the horizon fairly soon-ish um, that will be focused on um, sort of the, uh, the intersections perhaps of, you know, vocal health and vocal pedagogy and vocal um, you know, authenticity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that that project um, is in, you know, kind of a middle phase right now. And so working, working toward that. So I think for me, the goals that I have, um, you know, set out are sort of to continue to grow the lightning in the bottle um, from these various different uh, projects. And then to be open, to other collaborations and um and and new projects because i you know i do still love the occasional one-off project you know going in to create something new that's not connected to something i already do going into do some crazy thing I've been asked to consult on that you know you wouldn't think that I he would do as what doing what I do you know um, those things are fun and to continue to be open to those I think and and then to continue really you know exploring how to this is a big one you know how to use music in ministry as um, as technology changes as the um, makeup of the of, of institutions of faith changes um, mm-hmm. as a theology um, revolving around, um, particularly in my case Christianity, um, you know, changes and evolves and to be um, ever striving to create artistic Experiences um, that are worshipful and also that are um, impactful for the worshipers and and uh, community, including people who aren't a faith, um, you know, and and sort of um, you know having a having a touch point in that regard, continuing to grow in that way, I think is a is a definite personal goal of mine always.
0: That's amazing well you're doing great work so thank you well thank you
1: as are you and i'm so excited to see the podcast continue and grow and and um, get out there to the world because i think that i think that this topic is so um critical right now how can i be an entrepreneur um in any field but you know in the arts and creativity and culture um how can, I, how can I continue to be creative during these times? Um, what is the world gonna look like on the other side of COVID in our industry and others? All these questions, I think that the fact that you are, you know, really exploring that with people who are doing it or who are aspiring to do it in different phases of their life and career, I think is amazing and awesome. And I can't wait to continue to promote this to, to other folks to listen to.
0: Thank you so much. I mean, honestly, one of the reasons I wanted to start this is because I had so many questions and I wanted to know. So I thought, oh, I can't be the only person that has questions about it and wants to know, so.
1: I love it, I love it. You know. <laughs> Amazing resource.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely, anytime that we can be together and talk and sing I,
0: know, whatever, just, I am down. I miss you, I miss seeing you in person.
1: I missed you in person. The last gosh, last time we saw each other in person was Christmas.
0: Yeah, probably. Is that
1: yeah. Possible? Whoa!
0: Oh, no, 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 wait. I took lessons. Have and you-
1: it went before we closed down, before we shut down, in January. Maybe. It's kind of funny because one of the things I've I've recognized is. And maybe this is just because we've been now Zooming for several months, you know, the world is, like sometimes I can't remember when the last time I saw someone in person versus we were together on Zoom was.
0: Right, right, I know, same. I I I,
1: think that that would be an automatic to to think about, but like, I'm like, did we coach over Zoom or did we coach in person since Christmas? You know what I mean? I,
0: I don't know, but it's been so long and I just hope that someday soon I can see you
1: it's going to happen.
0: Uh, yeah. And we can have a lesson and I can freak out like I always do. And you can say, <laughs> just call it.
1: <laughs> just call it. That's right.
0: I love it. <laughs> so, so, so much for jumping on this call with me and being a Well, partner. what better way
1: to start your morning? This has been awesome.
0: Yes. And I'm going to have a great day. So You are going to
1: have a great day. I am too. Yes, and so is everyone listening.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Uh, thank you again so much. I love you. I adore you. Thank
1: love you, Kayla.
0: All your work. You're the best.
1: Same here. Same here.
0: <laughs> okay, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. That wraps up today's episode. Adam, thank you so, so much. It was a joy and pleasure talking with you. As always, it's so much fun with you. I am just. So incredibly happy to know you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. I'm so excited for your future endeavors and for me to be able to get to work with you uh, in the future and continue getting to do that. So thank you for all you've given to the artistic community. I know so many people that appreciate you and love you. And it was truly an honor to have you on here today. You guys, he has a website and Instagram You can sign up for his virtual vocal coaching. I will give all of those details in the podcast notes. I will also include my um, information as well. So you can kind of keep up with the podcast with what I'm doing. Um, And yeah, that's about it for today. Stay tuned for episode three. We've got a lot of really cool, exciting people coming at you. So that wraps it up today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you have a great week. Be well, and I'll talk to you soon.